Open with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. As you're turning in your Bibles there, I want to uh, just take a moment to extend my, uh, my gratitude to, to Zach for stepping in uh, to lead worship for us. That wasn't planned. As Gordon got sick, uh, he uh, gave Stan, uh, Stan gave uh, Zach a call. It's four letters, you know, Zach, Stan, you know. And, uh, and uh, of course, Zach didn't hesitate, jumped in there. And so thank you, Zach, for, uh, for stepping in and leading us in singing this morning. Matthew chapter 5, and we've made it to the last of the Beatitudes. And uh, we've entitled this sermon today, Blessed are the Persecuted. Blessed are the Persecuted. Not hard to find where I got that title. I got it right from the scriptures there. But as we've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount, and specifically the Beatitudes of the last several weeks, uh, we have learned uh, that the Beatitudes are describing the characteristics, the character of believers in Jesus Christ, or of, can I say it this way, kingdom citizens. It's making known to us, this is how believers in Christ, how kingdom citizens think and live and what their origin is. And so as we've walked through it, we see that the first three Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn uh, and the meek. We find that uh, this is describing uh, believers and uh, where they come from and what we are like and what we were like and how we are in the presence of God. We are Empty, except for what Christ has given us. Except for what Christ has done. When we come to the cross, when we come and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ, man, we do so because we are broken and we find ourselves empty of anything that is worthy of the grace of God. And so he pours out to us that grace. And so we find that uh, the, the, these are the attitudes of kingdom people, of believers in Christ. They're poor in spirit. They mourn over their sin, the meekness concerning them. But then we come to the next few beatitudes. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Oh, we start out empty, but it doesn't take us long to want to feed on the beauty of the gospel and the beauty of our Savior, the beauty of our God. And we want to feed on Him blessed. Uh, As a reminder, I want you to understand that word blessed, uh, it's interpreted a number of ways. Uh, Oftentimes people say happy or fortunate. My understanding of this word blessed is those who are satisfied in God. Those who find their satisfaction in Him. He fully satisfies. And so we see those who are fully satisfied with God hunger and thirst for righteousness and they are merciful and they are pure in heart and they are peacemakers. What we find in these few verses is we find a kingdom people in a foreign land looking for a home. And that's who we are. 
We're a people, a kingdom people, in a foreign land looking for a home. And we know where that home is. We know who that home is with. It is with the living God. We're looking for that home. And we're living for that home. And we're living according to the law of the kingdom of God, if you will, of grace and mercy poured out to a people. We run through those things and we see uh, in these Beatitudes wonderful things that we are, all of us are. Uh, these are not like the spiritual gifts. Some are gifted in some things and some are gifted in others. These are things that believers are. We are these things. These all sound pretty good, don't they? I mean, isn't it a great thing to be a peacemaker? Don't you love people that you encounter that are merciful? Don't you love people that just hunger for righteousness, feed on it, and walk in it? Aren't you just amazed by those people? But then we arrive at the end of the Beatitudes, and it takes a turn. And it says... Satisfied in God, blessed are the persecuted. That seems odd a little bit, doesn't it? Doesn't it seem strange to take the characteristics of someone who is a kingdom citizen, someone who is a believer, someone who is a peacemaker and merciful, and then say, those are the persecuted ones. Blessed are the persecuted. For theirs is the kingdom of God. Goes right back up to the first one. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of God. Made a full circle. We don't really comprehend persecution, I don't think. As most of the Christian world does. There are 340 million Christians who suffer harassment or persecution worldwide. 340 million. One out of eight Christians suffer a severe form of persecution, which would include uh, imprisonment, torture, Separation from family, uh, exile, all of these things. One out of eight Christians suffer a severe form of persecution. In 2014, uh, Christians suffered persecution in 108 countries. By 2018, a mere four years later, that number of countries had increased from 108 to 145. And it's still growing. I, I say all this just simply to point out these verses that say, Blessed 
are those who are persecuted are relevant to us this day. I want us to see the relevance of that from the Word of God. How is it that persecution is something that you can rejoice in? Listen to what it says there uh, in verse 12. Rejoice and be glad. As a result of what? Being persecuted. And so I want us to think about, first of all today, as Christians, according to the Word of God, persecution is to be expected. It's to be expected. Secondly, I want to ask the question, why does the world persecute the righteous and the peacemaker and the merciful? Why? Why why would you do that? Thirdly, I want us to look at that command that Jesus gives there at the end. Rejoice and be glad. Well, how do we fulfill that one? (laughs) How do we live out that command? Rejoice and be glad. I want us to think about those things a little bit today. The relevance, like I said, is that persecution still exists today. And also, there is a great need for us. I mean, you know, one of, the, one of the primary things concerning Westwood Baptist Church is that we are laying uh, biblical family foundations to produce many godly generations. Um, you don't do that by laying down fluff. You do that by laying down the Word of God. What does the Word say regarding the Christian life? Persecution is not always imprisonment. It's not always something that is uh, where someone is beaten or tortured or anything like that. Sometimes it's just somebody reviling you, mocking you, okay? Mocking you. Kind of like, you believe that? I've had people ask me that before. Sharing the gospel. You really believe that? Oh, with all my heart. You know? And they thought I was nuts. That's okay. You can think that. But I do believe it. I believe it deeply. So persecution can be as, as little as just being mocked. And sometimes, for some, it is the reality of actual physical persecution. So... I want us to know that the Bible clearly helps us to know that as Christians, persecution is to be expected. Now, something we should know is that not all who are persecuted are blessed. Okay? Look what it says there. Verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Look at verse 11. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and other all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Okay, for righteousness sake and on my account, same thing going on here. All right. Not everyone who is persecuted are blessed because some people are not persecuted for the sake of Christ. Some people are persecuted for the sake of a political cause. Some people are persecuted for the sake of, uh, of 
of making some type of moral stand. Not all who are persecuted for a political cause, political prisoners. What is it that a political prisoner has to look forward to? You know, if they are indeed released, if the persecution does stop, if they are released from prison or they're released from uh, their torture or something like that, merely freedom to go back to their home. But what about Christians? What do we have to look forward to? Oh, we have glory to look forward to. A place of eternity, a place of great joy. And so we need to understand that all who are persecuted are not blessed. But all who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness or on account of Jesus, they are blessed. Jesus made sure the disciples understood uh, that persecution would be a way of life for them. In John uh, chapter 15, verse 20, Jesus says, A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Uh, Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. And here Jesus sends out the 12 apostles and he begins talking to them and he tells them how to respond to those who embrace them and how to respond to those who do not. And he speaks to them in in, uh, very clear terms, and he points out some things. Now, I want to read a great deal of Scripture here, all right? Now, I'm happy to do that, (laughs) all right? Uh, I I think it odd that that people go, man, they sure wrote a lot of Scripture today. It's kind of like, maybe we ought to read more, you know? Hear less of me and more of the word. You know, that'd be good, right? Don't agree with that. Yeah, yeah, do agree with that, all right? But join me at verse 16 after he has sent them out. And I want to read all the way down to verse 39, all right? Jesus says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved." When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. For it is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they've called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those 
of his household. So I have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are more of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge, I will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my father who is in heaven. Jesus is making known to them, I want you to understand something. They're coming after me. He's still on earth. He's still talking. They're coming after me. And I want you to know when they do this to me, they're going to do it to you too. And they did. Every one of them went after all of them. But isn't it great to hear what he says? He says, you're more valuable than a sparrow. That's good to know, isn't it? Isn't that great? You're more valuable than a sparrow. The hairs of your head are numbered. That's an interesting segue. Especially for a bald guy. You're more valuable than two sparrows. Let me tell you how valuable you are. Your hairs are numbered. Can I say this to you, Christian? You who trust Jesus, the Father loves you, and there are not enough words for you to articulate the love that He has for you. That's what Jesus is saying when he says, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. I've alluded to this before, and I'm going to say it again for those who may not have heard it. This is not saying that God knows how many hairs you have. This is saying that God knows how many you have, and he knows which one is which. The hairs are numbered. This is hair number one. And this is hair number two. I have hair. I just shaved it off this morning. This is hair number three. They're numbered. The ladies, you have shoes at home. Here's pair number one. Here's pair number two. Over here's pair number 30. I love books. I have books in my office. I know how many books are on the shelf and how many books are in my home. They're in Dewey Decimal Order. I have them all numbered. He doesn't just know who you are. 
He doesn't just know that you're his child. He loves you deeply and he knows you intimately more than you can ever possibly know. And he saved your soul, you being a sinner and an enemy of God saved you, changed you, made you into a kingdom citizen. Isn't our God wonderful? And then we hear this, expect persecution. That does not change God's love for us. Not in the least. And so we look at this and we see Jesus is letting them know, endure all the way to the end. Let nothing keep you from believing me. Let nothing keep you from loving me. Let everything be mine, Jesus is saying. Jim Elliott, a missionary to Ecuador, who was killed by the tribe he was trying to reach, said he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't fear the one who can kill your body. But fear the one who can kill both body and soul. That's God. He can destroy that. Jim Elliott said, the life is worth giving for the sake of righteousness, for the sake of the gospel. Paul uh, spoke very clearly uh, in 2 Timothy 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3 when he said this, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life. Anybody desire to live a godly life? Anybody? Yes? Got a few amens out there? Got some nods going on out there? That's good. All right? You desire to live a godly life? Yes? All right. Listen. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be Persecuted. Future, passive, indicative is the verb there. Will be persecuted. Uh, future, out there, it's going to be something that happens. Passive, you're not going to persecute yourself, but somebody else is going to persecute you. Indicative, this is the mood of certainty. This is going to happen. For those who live Godly. Peter pointed out in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, he, he told the believers there, there's false teachers, there were people threatening them. And he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Why? Because Peter, Peter heard Jesus say it. The last of the persecuted. Rejoice and be glad. Don't be surprised, he's saying. As Christians, persecution is expected. You know, the aim of those who belong to the kingdom is to put on display the glory and grace of the king. And that comes at a cost. 
Our aim is to make known the absolute and overwhelming satisfaction we have in the living God. That's what we want to do. We want to make that known. You know, America for 244 years has been a haven of religious liberty. Religious freedom. Isn't that great? Nobody's going to bust in our doors and say, hey, you know what? You can't be doing this. In a voice similar to that, you can't be doing this. Nobody's going to do that. Not today. Haven for religious freedom. What will you do with that freedom? What are you doing with that freedom to worship? Freedom to evangelize. Freedom to make disciples. What will you do with that freedom? We have a type of Christianity that exists today. That pursues a Christ that will give them a car. Or a king who will give them prestige. Or a savior who will deliver them from financial ruin into financial affluence. But as believers, we are a people who are willing to suffer for the sake of Jesus in this world. Because we see greater Riches in knowing Christ than in the wealth and fame and glory and pleasures of this world. I read out of Hebrews 10, uh, 11 earlier concerning Moses who said, Man, I, 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 I would rather suffer with the people. I'd rather suffer with the people than partake of the pleasures of Egypt. Y'all, I want you to know we have a choice to embrace the pleasures of the world or the pleasures of the kingdom of God. Oh, may you always choose the pleasure of the kingdom of God. Always. We'll come back to that in a moment. But I want to go to point number two. We see that we should expect persecution in some form. Reviling, mocking, imprisonment. But what does, why does the world persecute the righteous? Look what Jesus says there. He says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. And other all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Why? Why the people who stand for peace? Why the people who liberate prisoners? Why the people who set captives free? Why the people who stand 
for those who are treated unjustly? Well, I come after Christians. Why did Jesus know? They persecute me. They're going to persecute you too. I want to look at a couple of passages. First, I want to go to 1 John. 1 John chapter 3. First John chapter 3, the, the apostle is writing this epistle, this letter to the church. And he says in verse 11 of chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3, verse 11, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil, and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. It's not a new concept. As a matter of fact, this goes... All the way back to the beginning. The first siblings, okay? I mean, the first siblings. And what does it say here? Why was it that Cain persecuted his brother? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Why is it that they persecute? It's, it's right there. It's plain. Because of righteousness. As believers in Jesus Christ, we are those who proclaim and fuse, cast out, make known. This is righteousness. And what does the world do in response to that? Comes against it. It's that simple. The righteousness of believers exposes those who love the darkness. John wrote that also in writing what Jesus was speaking in John uh, chapter 3. John chapter 3. There in that text in uh, verse 19. Jesus says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. People, I want us to see that the world hates us because of righteousness. As a new morality takes hold, that seems to be happening in our nation and even around the world. Seems to be attempting to take hold. It, it, it can't endure, by the way, because, uh, you know, it, it can't stand. But as a new morality takes hold in our society and seemingly in the whole world, Christians must hold fast the word of life. Let me tell you what that means in two ways. Number one, 
Hold fast to it. And don't let it go no matter what. Do not cease to live out and to love the Word of God. Don't, don't do it. Keep believing. Keep trusting. Keep obeying. Keep growing in knowledge of the living God. Hold fast the Word of life. And secondly, that phrase that Paul uses is hold fast the Word of life. Make it known. Make it known to your children, parents. Raise them up in the Word of God. Make it known to everyone around you. Hold fast the Word of life. When others proclaim, you know what? We should be able to do whatever we want to do. The Christian says, no. That would be an offense to God. But instead, we are to believe the Word of God and embrace the righteousness of God. Hold fast the Word of life. Paul also says that the church is a pillar and buttress of the truth. As believers in Jesus Christ, we uphold righteousness. We, uh, the, the, the pillar and buttress of the truth. Can you hear? The, can you see one of those big old Roman columns holding up a beam that's holding up the roof? That's what we're talking about there. Who's the pillar and buttress? The church. How's truth to be dispensed in the world? It's to be dispensed through the church, through the proclamation of the Word of God, through moms and dads and grandparents and raising up children to believe in the Lord. Man, remove believers from the equation and everything implodes. There would be no standard for righteousness held up. It would be just as everyone would do as they desire. So to be persecuted for holding up truth in society and in the world and even in the church, it's a worthy way to go. To do that. I, f I fear today. That there are many churches. Many Christians. Who instead of. Being a pillar and buttress. As the church. And upholding the truth of the word of God. Are. Are inclined to get in line with the changes that are taking place. And in doing though, they are creating a doctrine of the sanctifying of sin. In other words, setting a sinful way apart as okay. And it's not. Why does the world persecute righteousness? Because righteousness of believers exposes those who love darkness. So we need to understand it's godliness that brings about persecution. But when it comes, how do we respond? 
Jesus says, rejoice and be glad. How do you do that? He says, blessed are you. You're satisfied in the living God, right? And if persecution comes because I'm doing what he's called me to do, what do we do? We hold fast the word of life. We find our satisfaction in what God has determined. The reason for gladness and rejoicing is reward. Look what it says. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He's talking about the prophets being martyred. He's talking about them being beaten and imprisoned and sawn in two. Rejoice and be glad. In Acts chapter 5, verse 41, one of my favorite passages, I guess you would say, one of them out of the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 5, what we're seeing is we're seeing the narrative of all the apostles being arrested. And that's when Gamaliel stands up and said, hey guys, you know what? Everything that's risen has risen and gone away. But if this thing endures, you're just going to be fighting against God. So let's just let them go. And so uh, the scripture says that they took them and they beat them and they commanded them not to preach in the name of Jesus Christ. And the apostles went out and they left the presence of the council, it says, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. How is it that we can rejoice in suffering? Only if the name of Jesus is greater to you than the praises of men can you rejoice and be glad in the face of persecution. Only if the name of Jesus means more to you than your own life. Means more to you than your children Your family, your bank account, your house, your wealth, your prestige. Only if Jesus means more. Only if you love Jesus more. Can you rejoice and be glad when they throw a rock at your head? Right? Or when they mock you? When they make fun of you. Rejoice and be glad, he says. How do we become those Christians who love Jesus more? I think we do it very much the way we're doing it now. By making the Word of God the priority. Because it's through the Word of God that we grow in knowledge of God. And so our families are reading the Word of God together and they're praying together and they're singing together. I, I love hearing kids in our church 
quoting scripture, singing songs of praise, putting on display obedience to their parents. I love watching that take place among us. I want you to know it's by loving the Word of God and reading the Word of God and allowing God to capture your heart through knowledge of Him, growing in that, that we learn to rejoice and be glad. We must love heaven more than earth. We must love heaven more than earth, Christians. Kingdom citizens. We must love heaven more than this earth and the things of this earth. As I was studying, I got to read a couple of sermons, a couple of articles and things like that. I found one that was by John Piper, and he, he writes this. He gives a summons to the people. Uh, that's in line with what we're looking at today. He says, Will you join the Son in displaying the supreme satisfaction of the glory of grace and joining Him on the Calvary road of suffering? Because there's no other way the world is going to see the supreme glory of Christ today except that we break free from the Disneyland of America and begin to live lifestyles of missionary sacrifice that looks to the world like our treasure is in heaven and not on the earth. It's the only way. Disneyland of America. That's why we don't know much about persecution. I get what he's saying. So many put forward a Christianity that looks more like Disneyland than the stoning of Stephen. We want our children to grow up being able to stand. Don't you? I want to grow up and, you know, have all these things and stuff like that. Is that what you want? I want my kids to have stuff. I want my grandkids to stand. I want my sons to stand. And while they stand, to rejoice and be glad in the gifts that God has given them. Children, listen. I want to close with this little story. A guy by the name of John Rogers. John Rogers was one who carried on the work of William Tyndale after he died. After, after he died. After he was martyred. And he carried on the work of translating Matthew. And putting together the books of the Bible for people that they would be able to read the Word of God. And he had very different uh, views of uh, the Lord's table and uh, different views of salvation than what he would, you would find in the church of his day. And so he was finally arrested 
And after a year of being in prison, he got to go and make a defense of himself. And they found him guilty of heresy because of the positions that he held. And before he died, they gave him an opportunity on the day of his death to recant, and he would not do it. So on the road to be burned at the stake, he was uh, going down the road, and some people came along to encourage him. And let me tell you who those people were. They were his wife and his children. J.C. Ryle shares this. His children accompanied him to the place of execution and called out encouragements to him through their tears that he might be strong and not turn back and dishonor Christ. His children. It says they were called out encouragements to him. Oh, children, what could they possibly be saying to him? Daddy, don't give up. Daddy, keep believing Jesus. What kind of children do you want to raise? What do you want the next generation to be like, like these guys? The French ambassador of the day wrote about this same event. And he spoke of the support given to Rogers by the greatest part of the people. Even his children assisted at it. Comforting him in such a manner that it seemed as if he had been led to a wedding. Can you imagine? One of the martyrs who went to the stake and all the wood gathered around and they climbed up on the piers of of the wood and they said, you don't have to lash me to the pole. I'm not going anywhere. It's okay. I want you to know that no one went to their death believing Jesus and we're going, boy, I sure wish I could take that pocket knife with me. No. They loved Jesus more than this world. They loved heaven more than this world. They knew their citizenship was in glory. And they were not bent on staying here. Imagine children saying, hey, daddy. Don't dishonor Jesus. Let's raise those Christians. Let's raise those guys. Let's raise those men and those women. Let's train them to stand. And if persecution never comes, may they constantly be a light and a pillar and a buttress of truth. That forever puts before a people who hate them. Behold the love of God. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let's pray together.
Father, we pray we would never know the sorrow of suffering that so many have had. But Lord, we would never ask for you to take away that which you will. And so, Lord, we succumb to your truth and your word, and we ask you, Lord, to strengthen us and enable us. Help us, Lord, to raise children who love Jesus, who love other believers, who are men and women who think well, men and women who know truth and can discern what is false. Because of the truth that they know. We love you, O God. And we thank you, Lord, for not leaving us in such a way that we would have to grope to find what is true. But God, you have given it to us beautifully in your word. And so, Lord, I pray that you would make us believers who are strong and able and willing to surrender all to you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.